Well, it's been an interesting journey through the book of Mark, and we continue our journey today as we look at Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Uh, The title of the message today is, It's Out with the Old and In with the New. And I thought a great way to kind of start our message out today is by uh, showing you a picture and uh, picking your brains about something old that has now been made new. As they get the picture ready, uh, this this will, for those my age, okay, Take a look at the screen there. All right. Now, I know those that are older than me remember something even older than this, but I want to draw your attention to that picture. And for those that maybe are listening to the audio that can't see the picture, I'm showing a TV screen with a pair of what we would call rabbit ears. Do you remember the rabbit ears? And do you remember the tin foil that you had to put on top of the rabbit ears? Right. When I was a kid, I had a, I think I mentioned this before, an old Philco television in my bedroom. And it was just a, a treasure to actually have a TV in my room. I didn't get that until I was about 10 or 11 years old. And I used to watch in the afternoon all the, the best sitcoms of the late 70s, early 80s. So I'm talking Silver Spoons, Different Strokes, Good Times, What's Happening, The Jeffersons. Uh, I used to watch all those shows. And to watch those shows, I had to get out the tinfoil and move around those arms and the antenna. And I, I know you remember this, okay? I know you remember you finally got to the right position with the antenna, but as soon as you walked away and sat down, it went back to static again. And so you try all these tricks. You take a chair and you put it where you were standing, and then you back away. My mother would come into my bedroom and all my furniture would be rearranged. And she says, why do you have a desk in the middle of the room? I said, I'm trying to watch the Jeffersons, Mom. This is the best I can do. This is the best I can do. So I think about that as a wonderful part of my past. It's a joyous part of my past. But can I tell you something? Last night, I had an opportunity to watch uh, actually a pretty historical event. I don't know if anyone is a Chicago Cubs fan in here, but they're headed to the World Series for the first time in 71 years. Yeah, hand for the Chicago Cubs, huh? Yeah, used to work for the Cubs, so they have a place in my heart. But you know what? I didn't watch that game with bunny ears. You know why? It's 2016. And for the price of what that Philco TV cost, I was actually able to go to Walmart when we moved here in August and get a flat screen TV. High definition television. Now, does that mean that the bunny ears were bad? No. It means they're part of the past. And why would I drag the past into a glorious, high-definition future. Let that prepare our hearts and our minds today as we walk into Mark chapter 2. And again, the title of the message is, It's Out with the Old and It's In with the New. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. My prayer as we walk through this passage in Mark 2 today, that we would know that Jesus did not come just to repair us, but to transform us and bring us new life. In today's passage, we're going to see three different biblical illustrations, all from Jesus Christ. We're going to see an illustration of a wedding, a wardrobe, and a wineskin. Okay, a wedding, a wardrobe, and a wineskin. And each of these three illustrations will teach us The purpose of Christ's life and ministry is to enter into an old and broken world where we've been separated from God and make all things new where believers will be reunited with God in His eternal kingdom forever. So it's out with the old 
And it's in with the news. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me again to Mark chapter 2. And if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant word, we're going to be reading Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Again, Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, starting in verse 18. Hear the word of our Lord. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have had the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, we thank you and praise you for this beautiful day that you have made. Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is taking old things and making them new. And Father, we thank you for your word that shows us from the very beginning of time how you have worked in our lives, how you have promised to redeem us of our sins, how you have fulfilled that promise through Jesus Christ, and how we can cling to promises yet to come when he will come a second time and finally make all things new eternally in your kingdom. Father, I echo the sentiments of my brother Kenny this morning in prayer who said that if there are any in this room who do, do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray during this time as we read your word, your Holy Spirit would move and work in an amazing way. Uh, Father, I pray that those that don't know Christ would come to know him and respond to the working of the Holy Spirit in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And for those that do know him, Today, Father, we pray that we could let go of old things and embrace new things in Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. God's people said, Amen. Well, we said it's out with the old and in with the new. And what I love about Jesus Christ is in His divine sovereignty and in His just amazing wisdom, He uses these illustrations that we can relate to. And I know there's a little bit of history that separates us from the time uh, that this was originally written, but I think if we go back and historically look at what was talked about, we can make these connections. So I want to walk through these three illustrations and then I want to make application to how this affects your life today, no matter what stage of life you are in. So number one, Let's look at our first illustration. It's out with the old wedding and in with the new bridegroom. Verses 18 through 20. Let's read together. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they had the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So I think if we're reading this, we need to start with the idea of fasting. We need to understand what it is. We need to understand what it meant to them. 
and what it means to us today. And then we can kind of walk through this illustration that Jesus has presented us with in this passage. So fasting, what is it? Well, most of you have probably heard of fasting. Several of you may have practiced fasting. And I do want to say that Jesus is not denouncing the, the practice of fasting. It's a spiritual discipline that we can engage in today. But first of all, what is fasting? Well, fasting is simply depriving your physical body of food to pursue a deeper spiritual reality. Okay, fasting is been been around as long as human beings have been around. Okay, fasting is a season or a time where you deprive yourself of food to pursue a deeper spiritual reality. Okay, so in the Old Testament, there was the Day of Atonement. That was a mandated fast for the whole nation of Israel. But there were other times where the people of God would not partake of food in order to draw closer to God. They did this to express humility, repentance and to seek a closeness with Him. But there were also people who wrongly fasted because they thought by depriving themselves of food, they could somehow manipulate God to do something for them. All right, We, never, we can never, whether past, present, future, there's nothing that you could ever do to put God in your debt. All right, We can never put God in our debt. There are things we do out of love and worship and appreciation, and God will bless Okay, but there's nothing we can do to put God in our debt. And there are times we see in the Old Testament where people would deprive themselves of food and they would do so in such a way as to try to get God to do something for them. Kind of quid pro quo. God, I'll do this if you'll do that. In fact, in, the new, in today's church, people are doing that all the time. All right, we're, we're showing up at church and God, I'll read one chapter of the Bible today if you'll bless me. If you'll give me this, I'll do that. And when we act that way, I don't think we see that the blessing is the relationship with God himself. The relationship with God himself. Now again, let me say, Jesus is not opposed to fasting. All right, we read back in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days as he prepared for his earthly ministry. He deprived himself of food and drew close to the Father to prepare himself for this short three-year ministry that he would have on the earth. So he's not opposed to fasting, and he teaches the disciples to fast. But fasting at the right time and fasting for the right purpose. Now, let's bring in the idea of a wedding. All right, it says here, Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. All right, so let's talk about the wedding. Wedding, especially in Old Testament times, it was a union and a celebration. Jesus, or Jewish people, loved weddings because sometimes in these small Jewish villages, weddings would last an entire week. All right, we stress out about planning a wedding that'll last two hours. Imagine trying to plan a wedding that lasts a week long. But they loved it. It was a part of the culture. A wedding was a time of union. It was a time of celebration. And if you take that to the New Testament... We see a wedding as a symbol and a representation of Christ and the church. All right, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb, as we see at the end of time, is a union between God and man that will last forever. So this beautiful picture of a wedding is taking place in this illustration from Jesus. And he's saying, how can the, how can the guests fast during the wedding? In other words, how, he's saying, how can you be sorrowful because I'm God and I'm here? It's time to celebrate. The disciples know who I am. They've been waiting. The Jewish tradition was looking for a Messiah century after century after century. They're waiting, and finally, the Messiah is here, and the Pharisees are nitpicking about fasting, and Jesus says, 
how can they possibly fast when the bridegroom is in their presence? In other words, how can you possibly be doing all these things waiting for God to come when God is standing right before you speaking right now? It's out with the old wedding and in with the new bridegroom. Jesus is here and it's a time to celebrate. And when he comes, he's establishing a new kingdom, a new way, a greater way where God will be with man forever. Again, in the Old Testament, God traveled with man in the tabernacle and God dwelled in the temple, but there was a curtain. There was a veil between the two. All right, Jesus comes and he tell, he tours he tears the veil in two, separating the division between God and man. The bridegroom is here. It's time to celebrate. He's taking what's old and he's making it new. Now, let me say this before I move on to our second point. It says in verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. That verse is pointing specifically to the crucifixion. Okay, there will come a day when the bridegroom's not here. He's up on that cross. And you will be separated for a time. And in that time, those who follow Jesus will weep. And those who follow Jesus will fast. But not while He's present. And not now that He's off that cross. That He's risen from the dead. That He's ascended to the Father. That He's with us and in us through the Holy Spirit. And that He'll come back one day as He promised. And He'll make all things new. It's out with the old wedding. It's in with the new bridegroom. Jesus Christ is making things new. And we should celebrate that. We should have joy in that. Our lives should be a mirror of the lives of anyone who'd be a guest at a wedding. We are celebrating a union with God. That's what you were created for. You were created to have union with the God who created you. It's the most important and joyous and wonderful thing that could ever happen to any human being at any time. Sin gets in the way of that. Jesus Christ came to remove the barrier. He's taking old and He's making new. But if that wasn't enough, number two, He gives us another illustration. It's out with the old wardrobe. And in with the new garments. Okay, verse 21 says this. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Well, I think again we need to get historical background on this because most of us here in 2016, we buy factory-made clothes. All right? Few of us still use patches. Some of us do. Okay? Our golden agers, I'm sure, remember a time when patches were basically the only way you'd make it through with one pair of jeans or one pair of pants for a whole season of life because that's what you had and that's what you had to take care of, okay? But understand this, when Jesus is saying unshrunk cloth, new cloth that has not been shrunk yet, guess what happens to unshrunk cloth when it gets wet and then it dries? It's not unshrunk anymore. <laughs> it shrinks. And if you sew a piece of unshrunk cloth on a hole and it gets wet and it shrinks, what's going to happen to the hole? It's going to get bigger and it's going to get bigger and it's going to get bigger. And Jesus is using this illustration again to say those pants, they weren't bad, they weren't wrong, but they're old. They have a hole in them. Stop trying to patch them up. I didn't come to patch up holes. I came to give you new pants. I came to bring new garments. Stop looking at the old. I'm taking the old. I'm making it new. 
Stop trying to fix a, a small hole in something old. Embrace something completely new that I'm bringing to you right here and right now. You know, the Old Testament is God's word. Every bit as much as the New Testament is God's word. But the Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come in the New Testament. In fact, now that we know the truth and we can read the whole New Testament, isn't it amazing when you go back to the beginning of the story and you begin to watch and see things you didn't see before? All right, how many of you have ever watched a, a suspense movie? All right, and you didn't know how it was going to end. And then all of a sudden when the movie's over, a couple of weeks later you go back and watch the beginning of it again and you start seeing things you didn't see before. I remember uh, the first time that my mother maybe watched the great Alfred Hitchcock movie Psycho. Yeah, you remember Psycho? Yeah, I didn't know that he was his mother. I hate to ruin the, the plot line for anybody who hadn't watched that movie yet. But then, and then I went back and watched the beginning of the movie and I thought, Alfred Hitchcock is a genius. How many times did I not see this? I just never saw it coming. But I had to go back and watch it. But I, since I knew the ending, the beginning made a whole lot more sense. Well, the Old Testament is this entire progression of God moving through his people, pointing towards the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's a shadow of what's to come. And Jesus is basically saying, all of you have been looking at this shadow of my coming, but now I'm here. You don't need to look at the shadow anymore. I'm standing right in front of you. That's, that's, that's what happened here with, with the Old Testament, specifically the law. Okay? It says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, it says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under the coming faith until the coming faith would be revealed. Verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So it doesn't mean the law is bad. Okay, it's still God's law. It doesn't mean we ignore God's law, but it means the law had a specific purpose. When God handed down the law to Moses, all right, and the laws were established among the people of God, it says in Galatians that it was our guardian, or another word for some translations, I think the KJV may say tutor. All right, It was your guardian, it was your tutor. It was to show you that you needed a Savior until the Savior actually comes. But when the Savior comes, He comes to fulfill the law. He's not doing away with it, He's fulfilling it. And so now your new responsibility is simply to follow the one who's fulfilled it. He's taking the old and He's making it new taking the old, and he's making it new. I thought of an illustration that might make a little bit more sense in our context. My wife and I like to text. I know I didn't clear this, but I think it'll be all right. Uh, <laughs> she'll, yeah, text me and let me know about if what I'm going to say is going to be all right. So my wife and I like to text throughout the day. As we're doing certain things, we text back and forth. It's just something in the last 10 years has become a part of the culture. We text. Every once in a while, there are times that she will send me some of the sweetest texts. She'll tell me that she loves me. She'll tell me that she's proud of me. And can I tell you something? When she sends me those text messages, I look at them and I read them over and over and over again. Because I'm not physically with her in that moment but it's drawing me close to her. It's a part of who she is. And it means the world to me. But can I tell you something? When, uh, when I go home and I'm sitting next to her, I don't read the texts. Why do I not read the text messages when she's sitting right next to me? 
because the texts were a way for me to draw close to her until I could be with her. But now she's with me. And I don't need the text messages. I don't need that. Now I have her. Think about the Jews of the Old Testament clinging to these rituals, to these customs. It's not that they're bad. It's they're incomplete. They're what God established before the coming of the Savior. But the Savior's here. There's no use to hang on to old religion. We don't practice old laws and rituals. We don't try to earn anything before a holy God because Jesus Christ earned it for us. He's in our presence. And our responsibility is just to repent, to place our faith in Him, and to enjoy His sweet presence. He is in you through the Holy Spirit. If you placed your faith in Him, your life is no longer what it used to be before you knew the Lord Jesus Christ. It's out with the old wardrobe and in with the new garments. Third and finally, gives us a great illustration here. It's out with the old wineskins and in with the new wine. Verse 22 says this, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now again, we need to go back to our historical context because most of us who do drink wine don't drink it out of wineskins, all right? Some of you have those cheap boxes, you know, the frenzy of boxes have been sitting in your fridge since last Memorial Day or bottles of whatever. We don't drink out of wineskins anymore, okay? So let's put this in historical context. Wineskins typically were the skins of a goat and they'd peel back a full continual layer of skin and then sew it together. And the goat skins were perfect for keeping wine, all right, because there was some elasticity to them. They were flexible. So as the wine began to ferment and the skin began to expand, it could expand with the wine. It was a perfect container to take in wine. But here's the problem. After a goat skin was used for a long time, when the wine was finally poured out of it, it got old and it got brittle. So what would happen is if you tried to pour new wine into old wineskins when they were cracked and brittle, when the wine would begin to ferment and, and the, the wine would want the skins to expand, they'd crack and the, and the wine would leak out. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. Now, again, that's an illustration. If we had not known those historical background, those facts, we would not have picked up on that. But as Jesus is speaking to the people at the time, they all get it because that's how they kept their wine in wineskins. All right, now let's drag that illustration into 2016. Jesus wants to pour new life into you. And He can't do that if you're holding on to old ways. Sometimes, I think, human beings do not follow Jesus Christ because they're scared of letting go of what was behind because they don't know how amazing things are of what lies ahead. Jesus Christ never takes something old and not make it a better new. All right, If Jesus Christ takes something old and makes it new, the new is much better than the old. I promise you. I promise you it is. I'll give you another illustration from my own life. First car I ever drove. 1989 Chevy Blazer S10 4.3 V6. All right. When I bought it, it had 130,000 miles on it. When I sold it, it had about 330,000 miles on it. All right, I bought the car for 1500 then I had a $2,000 paint job for it. Makes no sense, I know. 
All right, my best friend of 30 years and I spent weeks upon weeks putting a stereo in it that also cost more than the car itself, but we worked at Best Buy, so we were able to get special discounts. We've repented of those sins, right? (laughs) So why do I bring up my Chevy Blazer? Well, I love that car, love the car, and I I got hired by the Oakland A's in 2008 and was called to move out to California to broadcast for one of their minor league teams. And when I was headed out there, the car had over 300,000 miles, and I was, I was intent on driving it cross-country. And then when I got to California, figuring out uh, if, if I made it that far, what I needed to repair, and if not, how much could I save up to put a new engine in it. And finally, my sister talked some sense into me. She said, Bo, you've been saving up for a new car for years. Why would you take the 1989 Chevy Blazer? All right, this isn't a classic, okay? This isn't a 1960 Pontiac GTO sitting in my driveway. This is an 89 Blazer. Let's be honest. Nobody's going to be driving this during the classic car cruising at the Bloomin' Festival. All right? It's an 89 Blazer. This is a good first car. But why would I want to spend hundreds and even thousands of dollars putting an old engine or a new engine in the old body? The body's not that great to begin with. So what did I do? Well, I flew out there without a vehicle. Saved up a little bit more money, and I bought a new truck. And it's the truck I still have today. And by the way, I am going to ride that thing till 300,000 miles. All right, that Chevy's going to be sitting there quite a long time. Everybody already knows where I park because there's the, the highest amount of oil stain right there in the pastor's spot. So, But to come back to the main point here in uh, our, our third point here, it's out with the old wineskins and in with the new wine. God wants to do new and amazing things in our lives, but we have to let go of the old for him to pour in the new. I really believe this with all of my heart. I believe that, you know, in life, because of sin, we have death and we have separation and we have to let go of things that we enjoyed and things that we love. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll begin to think that the way things were, were better than the things to come. I understand that. All right, for those of you who are older, you've watched family and friends pass away one by one, even spouses. And you begin to think, I wish I could go back to the way things were. And it's tough. And there's a season where you miss your spouse or you miss your loved ones. That separation's a real thing. Sorrow and pain is a real thing. That's a godly emotion. There's nothing wrong with that. What, what is wrong is when we yearn so much for the past that we forget how awesome the future is going to be. All right. When I stand up at funerals and talk about the kingdom of heaven, I'm not throwing some pie in the sky idea. This is reality. This is truth. Heaven is real. Eternity is real. It's not something just to give us self-soothing in a time of grief. It's a real thing. And it's something that we should embrace and enjoy and, re- and celebrate and rejoice in. If you've lost a loved one, they are in unspeakable joy. In the kingdom of God, if they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're going to be with them and with God forever. And that is, again, not some pie in the sky truth. That's reality. All right. And so the more that we can let go of the things of the past, they weren't bad. Some of them were great. I have great memories that I wish I could go back and revisit maybe once in a while. But I'm not going back there. I'm not going back to my life before I knew Jesus Christ. Yeah, I enjoyed working in baseball and broadcasting games, and there were sweet moments in there. But I'm not going back to that life. I'm moving forward. Because what lies ahead is better than what was behind. This is a new and improved faith that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if God wants to pour something new into me, I don't want to hang on to something old and miss the blessing. God is taking what is old 
and he's making what's new. So that leads us to our conclusion. And our conclusion is this. Jesus Christ is the son of God who came to change our old ways to establish his new kingdom. Are you willing to go out with the old and in with the new? Let me read this again. Jesus Christ is the son of God who came to change our old ways to establish his new kingdom. Are you willing to go out with the old and in with the new? I really believe this. God works differently in every human being's life. Okay, your path is not the path of the one sitting next to you. But I do believe this. I believe what I said in 2 Corinthians 5 at the beginning of the service. All right, if you are born again, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that means from the day that you profess faith in Christ to where you are now, there should be changes that people can see in your life. Okay, some of those changes are painful and slow. And some of them are painful because they are slow. There are certain things I still wrestle with today, and I look in the mirror and say, God, why am I still battling this? But we all have them, right? We all have those, those wretched sins that are hard to let go of. But God's not done with me, and he's not done with you. But the fact of the matter is, I believe that God works the fastest and most effectively in our lives when we let go of all the things of the past and say, God, what lies ahead is so exciting and joyful, I'm just going to let go of old wineskins and ask you to pour in new wine. What are we holding on to? Well, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, your purpose of living is different. All right, Before, for me, it was professional success. I wanted to be a major league broadcaster, and I would have stopped of nothing to achieve that prior to getting saved. All right, what about our relationships with God and with others? That changes when you become a Christian. You can't have the same type of relationships. All right, I'm commanded now to love others the way that God loves me. And I have a capacity to love them in a greater way than before I knew Jesus because I have the Holy Spirit indwelling me. I can't hold on to the way that I used to have relationships because I'm called to a greater calling, a calling of love than I was before I was saved. What about your passion and your joy, the root of the greatest joys in your life? What were they like before you became a believer? And what are they like now? Again, I love sports. It, you may have noticed. But they're just a part of my life. All right? I, I cannot even imagine doing anything else on a Sunday than being in God's house. And I don't feel... If I wasn't a pastor, I felt this way even when I was at seminary, even when I was here as a youth pastor. It's not an obligation, it's a privilege. God's changed my heart. And trust me, I remember, gosh, I remember growing up. Going to church was like getting a tooth pulled. I hated it. But God took something old and he made it new. He changed my heart, changed my life. He's given me joy. He's poured in new wine. And I don't want any part of those old wineskins anymore. I wrote this last thing I just want to read. God never changes anything without a purpose, and everything old made new will be new and improved. We need to stop looking back to the old because the new is what God has prepared for those who love Him, for those who believe Him, and for those who will follow Him. Again, it doesn't mean what was old was necessarily bad. But what was old is for then. What is new is for now. Let us let go of what is old and let us embrace the glory and the joy of what is new in Jesus Christ. He's taking the old 
and he's making it new. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you and for all that you do, Father. We thank you that we do have things that are old and we're useful and we're grateful for them, Father. We're grateful for old memories and we're grateful for old traditions and uh, we're grateful for the things that were useful from bunny ears to wineskins. But Father, you're taking old things and making them new through your son and help us today, Father, I pray. Help us to, to make this tangible in our lives. Show us areas that we're holding on to the past and not willing to embrace the future. Help us to remember that the future is so much brighter when we'll be with Jesus forever. Father, I pray for those in this room who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior because if they don't have Jesus, then they need to hold on to the past because they've got nothing to look forward to but an eternity separated from God. I pray they would come to know Jesus. I pray that they would put their faith in Jesus and experience and express this joy of being with Him forever. And for those who are believers in Jesus in this room tonight, Father, I pray that they would have the joy restored in their salvation. That they would embrace you, Father. That they would follow you. Look forward to what lies ahead. And experience the joy of what we have right here, right now, because of your Son and your abiding Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.